right? Sometimes you just have to get back to the basics. Sometimes you have to get back to, to shoring up that foundation because anybody who's ever built anything, which is not me, but as we're in the process of looking at homes and selling homes, I have learned a little bit about the importance, if you will, of foundation. Without a strong foundation, you can't build anything that's going to last. And if you've built something that's going to last, you've got to always be checking the foundation because the quickest way for what you've built to destruct or to collapse or to not survive its lifetime is for something to happen to the foundation. And just because you've built a strong foundation doesn't mean you don't have to maintain that foundation. And so what we're doing during this series is we're just getting back to the basics. And over the last couple of weeks, Grady started the series off talking about how everything we do and everything that we are and everything that we believe is just simply centered on Jesus. Jesus is the reason for it all. And then over the last couple of weeks, we talked about the importance of the Word of God. I talked about the importance of getting into your Bible, the importance of reading your Bible, the importance of studying your Bible, the importance of letting the Word of God get into you and immerse yourself in that. Last week, we talked about the importance and the power of prayer and how it's one of those things that we overlook so many times. Next week, we close out the series. Phil was actually wrong. It's a five-sun day month, so there's actually one more week to this series I'm excited to talk about next week's subject. But today's subject is one of those subjects that in my personal life, I'm simply the most passionate about. Let me give you a a disclaimer before I go into today's message. I love this church. I love being the pastor of this church. I don't know that I do a good enough job of telling you guys sometimes how much I love pastoring this church. This place is my heart. It's easy to see all the other things that I'm involved in and think, man, the church comes last. No, no. Everything that I'm involved in is to allow me to do what I do here. Everything else that I do is to allow me to live out the thing that I feel called to do, which is pastor action church. I'm proud of this church. I'm proud of what this church has accomplished in this community. I'm proud of each and every one of you and how you guys literally become the hands and feet of Jesus all the time, whether it's through making sure someone feels comfortable when they walk through the doors, whether it's running the food pantry, running the shelter during the winter months, whatever crazy Um, idea that we come up with, whether it's prayer meeting on Mondays, whether it's something to do on Friday and Saturday nights with the addiction things, you guys make that happen. I don't make that happen. I do one thing around here. I stand up on Sunday mornings and I teach the word of God. You guys make everything happen around here. And that's an incredible thing. There's pastors all over this country who would give everything in their power to have a church where the people realize they are the church and are doing the work of the church. And as much as I love this church, let me make this very clear to you. I will never allow this church, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, and you can run me off. Someone said, how how do you get rid of the pastor around here? It's real simple. Someone said, do you guys ever vote? And if you've ever been in a more traditional church or a more baptistic church, their church polity is where they vote on everything. We vote every Sunday around here. Every Sunday. You vote yes or no when you walk through those doors. So the day everyone quits showing up and no one shows up anymore, guess what? I'll take that as I'm no longer the pastor of Action Church. But as long as I'm the pastor of Action Church... I will never allow this church to get comfortable. I will never allow us to get to the stage where we're simply going through the motions week after week just to have church. Too much work goes into it for that. Too much heartache goes into it for that. Make no mistake about it, if you weren't here from the beginning, and I know that about 95% of you were not, we didn't start this church 
because Canton needed another church. Matter of fact, dare I say, the last thing that Canton needed was another church. You can't throw a rock in this community without hitting a Mexican restaurant and a church. They're everywhere. It doesn't matter what type of church you want to attend. We got you covered in Canton. You want big churches? We got big churches. You want small family churches? We got small family churches. You want traditional churches? We got traditional churches. You want rock and roll churches? We got rock and roll churches. We've got biker churches. Did you know that I just found this out the other day? We even have a cowboy church in Canton. I didn't know there was such a thing as a cowboy church. I'm super intrigued with a cowboy church. I didn't know we had cowboys in Canton. But I've been watching Yellowstone a lot lately, and I am going to go check out cowboy church very soon. i got to get me some boots first. I don't think they let you wear flip-flops to cowboy church. You want a Baptist church? we got Baptist churches. Methodist church? we got Methodist churches. I, ha- I hate that we have this. But it's just kind of the way it works. The most segregated place every week is church. We have white churches and black churches. I don't think either one of them advertises that, but the reality is we have you covered. You want charismatic churches? We got charismatic churches. You want old school, independent, King James only against everything that moves churches? We got those. My point is this. Canton didn't need another church. It didn't need another place where people could come dress casually, listen to rock and roll music, have a pastor who speaks in a way that they can understand. That's everywhere nowadays. But Canton needed a place that was doing whatever it takes short of sin To make sure that people have a hard time getting to hell. And that's why Action Church exists. We started this church. In case there's any questions about this. And let me make this clear because somebody gets offended every time I say this. And my goal is not to offend you. But we created Action Church for outsiders. To become insiders. Once you become an insider, you become a missionary with the goal of bringing more outsiders in. We started this church where anybody, whether they've been 30 years deep in their faith, or they don't even believe there is a God, can come through these doors and they can feel comfortable And they can leave here. We started this church where someone who's mature in their faith can hear the word of God and still get fed every week. But we also started this church where the person who doesn't even believe there's God and doesn't necessarily believe what's being taught can still leave and be like, wow, I don't know that I believe all that God stuff. But there were some practical things there that I can apply to my life. And we did that because we had the mindset that once they start applying those biblical truths to their life, it's impossible for them not to be drawn to God. We started this church with a very clear vision. As awesome as I think our kids' area is on the other side of that wall, we didn't start this church to have the most awesome kids' area in town. Contrary to popular belief, we did not start Action Church to be the anti-church. We started Action Church to reach those that are far from God. We started Action Church to create an environment where anybody, no matter where their walk is, can come in here and hear how awesome this man named Jesus Christ is and how much this man named Jesus can change their lives if they will surrender their lives to him. We started this church not to be steeped in tradition, not to be steeped in pomp and circumstance, Not to hear about how the way things have always been. We started this church to the best of our ability. And let me make this very clear to you. We fail daily at this. But to be as simple and as close to the New Testament church as we can be. 
I feel like if you look around at the average church, we've done a great job of complicating Christianity. Action Church is sold out to do whatever it takes for people to hear about Jesus Christ. And the reality is the greatest way for people to hear about Jesus Christ is not through me, not even through what happens here on Sunday morning, but the greatest way for people to hear about Jesus and the impact that Jesus makes on our lives is through you. You have a network. You have what's called a web of people that God has uniquely put in your life. And there's nobody here whose network's the same, not even husbands and wives. Because your networks are different. You might work at a different place. You might be part of a different club. You might have a hobby that's different than your spouse. And studies show that each and every one of us have what they call a web or a network. They say on average of 57 people who think highly enough of us that we can influence their lives by our deeds, our actions, and our talk. You have people that I will never meet. So if you're depending on me to be the only one who brings them to Jesus, those people are never going to meet Jesus. I have people that you never meet. Our lives are different. Our families are different. Our careers are different. Our work is different. Our hobbies are different. And therefore, we have a network of people. And let me make this clear. There's not a person in your life who is in your life by accident. God has brought them into your life for the express purpose. Do not miss this. For the express purpose of bringing people to him. If you grew up in church, if you grew up in Sunday school, the word the church uses for this is the word called evangelism. Evangelism is the word of telling other people about Jesus. However, just like the church has done with so many other words, we've kind of taken that word and made it kind of a, a bad thing. It's another word that the church has done a great job of killing because when I think of the word evangelism, I don't think about the biblical way of talking about Jesus. The church has made that where evangelism is standing on the street corner with a sign that says turn or burn. Evangelism has turned into like when I was in Bible college and we had to go door to door to complete strangers every night and knock on their doors. For them to open their doors and for me to talk to them and say, hey, by the way, I know you don't know me. You don't know anything about me. And you don't know anything, but i got to ask you a really personal question. If you're a doubt today, you're 100% sure you go to heaven or would there be some doubt? And as they start to shut the door, they teach the techniques on how to keep the door open. And really the ultimate goal was not to tell them about Jesus. The ultimate goal was to say, hey, if you just say this prayer, you'll be good. Or the goal of evangelism, I'm going to burst some of your bubble. As a matter of fact, I, I, I dare say... Some of you will never return today, after today. Because you're so steeped in your tradition that I'm going to kill some of your sacred cows today. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be funny when I say that. I'm giving you the reality. What we've turned evangelism into is holding huge rallies where we give the gospel and we scare people so bad that we get them to come down and say a prayer. But what we don't know is, is before that ever, because I've been part of these, the reason they start coming down is what's called mass production. People follow the masses. So they have what are called plants out in the crowd. Hey, the minute the preacher says to go down, you're going to go down because you going down is going to lead other people to go down. And people come down and again, they say a cute little prayer. They never meet Jesus. They never put their faith in Jesus, but they feel like they have this false sense of security because they said a prayer. Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist ever, said the biggest mission field in the world 
is the church pews every Sunday morning. Full of people who think they have a relationship with Jesus Christ because they attend a church, they're part of a church, they said a prayer when they were nine years old that had no faith behind it. And I'm gonna get to the prayer, I'm not anti-praying, so don't write that down in your notes. Let me finish the sermon before you get offended and don't ever come back. But I'm passionate about this issue. Because I feel like we're not doing, and I mean we, I mean the church, the Christ followers in our country are doing a very poor job of truly bringing people to Jesus. We think we leave some little track. It's a cute little cartoon that says you're going to burn in hell in a bathroom stall and someone reads it and that's going to bring them to Jesus. And do I think people have been saved through those tracks? Absolutely. Do I think it's leading to widespread life change? Absolutely not. Because it's not the biblical way to spread the gospel. I'm going to give you the biblical way today. But first, I need you to understand something. We had this thing, and this is hard for a church like this, because they say the church takes on the, the personality of the pastor, and I hate this word. It's the word responsibility. We have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus. The last thing Jesus ever said before returning to heaven is he looked at the disciples and he said to them, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That word preach literally can be translated into tell. The good news is that Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross paying our sins, but on the third day he rose from the grave. We can't work our way into heaven. We can't buy our way into heaven. Our church membership can't get us into heaven. We don't get into heaven because of what we've done. We get into heaven because of what he did. That's the good news. That's good news for people like us. That's good news. Let me rephrase that because I don't want to offend you. That's good news for somebody like me. If I had to depend on my own works to get into heaven, I would find myself lacking. You say, well, don't you do good things? Oh, I do, but I can promise you my bad things outweigh my good things. If we were on the scales of justice and it depended on Gary Lamb to get me into heaven, I'd bust the gates of hell wide open. The good news is that Jesus so, God so loved the world. That he sent his only son, Jesus. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the good news. But where the church has dropped the ball, back to the basics, is we aren't sharing that good news. Jesus left us here. I believe this with all my heart. It's one of those things that theologically we can debate all day long, and I understand that. But I believe Jesus left us here for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to carry out the mission of Jesus. He said his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. The only thing that we can't do in heaven that we can do here is tell others about him. I've heard preachers get them say, we're left here to worship, and I believe we are left here to worship. Let me make that clear. But if we were only left here to worship, he could just take us on to heaven. We could walk streets of gold and fall at the king of kings' feet physically and spend eternity worshiping him. We're left here for community. I believe in the power of community. It's one of my favorite words in all the, the world. Love it. I love creating community. But we've never experienced community like we'll experience in heaven. So if the purpose was community, we'd be in heaven. The purpose for us here is to make sure a world who doesn't know Christ doesn't die not knowing Christ. We have a responsibility to spread the gospel. He didn't just give this commandment to preachers. He gave it to the disciples. He gave it to those that were following him. Go into the world and tell all creation the good news. He left us here to do whatever we can to tell others about him. But the reality is the numbers of people entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ are smaller than ever before. People don't identify as Christ followers anymore. Now think about that. We have more means to spread the word than ever before. 
telephones and emails and, and social media and whatever we want to do. Yet the numbers of people entering into a relationship with Christ are smaller than ever. The church has adapted a mindset that here's how we get people in to faith. We create a program. And churches have evangelism classes, evangelism explosion. Share your faith. Go fish. And they do four and five week classes on how to share the gospel. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything wrong with those, but what I'm telling you is you're missing the boat because that's not the first step. You've got to earn the right to get to that point. People, I'm going to butcher that, butcher this every time. Heard Johnny Hunt say this one time and thought it was amazing. He said, people don't care what you know till they know that you care. See, the missing ingredient in giving the gospel to people is we're missing out on the relationship component. And the relationship component is you have something in your network that nobody else has. Don't miss this. You have your story. There's not a person here. There's not a person in all the world that has your story exactly how your story is laid out. And God brings people into your life to build relationships with. And the greatest way to point people to Jesus is not to take this book and shove it down their throat especially when they think they don't even believe this book. The greatest thing you have to get you to the point where you can open this book and share that good news with them is your story. There's power in stories. What's one of the first things you do is you start to get close to someone in a relationship? Hey, what's your story? Man, tell me a little bit about yourself. And normally their story is what connects us with them. Their story is what brings something along that allows us to relate to them. And your story is what will allow you to win people to Jesus. Let me rephrase that because it's not a contest. It was what will allow you to bring people to Jesus that I'll never be able to bring to him. My story allows me to connect with people that some of you will never be able to connect with because our stories are different. It's not that my story's better and your story's worse, but we have different stories and different stories connect with different people. But here's the problem. As Christians, we'll talk about everything and anything but our story. We'll talk about the football game. We'll talk about the Braves. We'll talk about our favorite restaurant. God knows we'll talk about politics. But we get shy. We get embarrassed. We get silent when it comes to sharing the story of what Christ has done for us. And then the greatest excuse, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. Bull crap. I've seen your post on politics. You don't care about offending people. We get silent about the most important topic. I think I've shared with you this story before, but I remember growing up, and it wasn't on very long. But one of the coolest TV shows I ever saw was by a guy named Steve Hartman. Does anybody remember the story, the show that Steve Hartman had? And it was called Everybody Has a Story. Does anybody remember that show? It wasn't on long. But here was the premise of the show. Go look up on YouTube. There's old episodes on YouTube. Steve Hartman would pull into town. Now, the younger generation, I need to explain this to you. Younger generation, in towns, there used to be these things called payphones. Okay, you didn't have a phone on you at all time. Now, check this out, young folks. To meet someone or to find something out about someone, there was no Facebook. But every one of these pay phones had an amazing thing called a phone book. Ain't it crazy? And here's the deal. Alphabetically, everybody in that town was listed in this thing called a phone book. It shared their address and their phone number. 
So the premise of this show was Steve Hartman would pull into town. He would find a phone booth, a pay phone. He would open up this phone book to wherever it was, and he would point to a random name. They would go to that person's house, and the entire episode would be them telling that total stranger's story. Because the premise was, everybody has a story. How many of you have I ever said, I have said this. You've said, man, my family would be a great reality show. The reality is all of our families would be great reality shows because they're all great stories. When we step back and we look without the bias in our family, there's some crazy things that happen in our life. Even the person who thinks they've lived the most straight-laced life ever has a story, a story that's impactful to somebody. Everybody has a story. Did you know that Oprah Winfrey did an episode called Everybody Has a Story where she did this? In all the years that Oprah was on television, this was her third highest rated show ever where she simply told the stories of somebody else. People love to hear stories. And the greatest way for us to tell others about Jesus is not to take the Bible and tell them they're going to burn in hell and they're going to fry like bacon, though that's the funnest way. But it's just to share our story. People come into our church and they come for a few weeks and they always come to me and Christine and we love this. Don't get me wrong. Hey, we'd love to take you guys. We just want to hear more about your story. I'm like, cool, because I want to hear more about your story. Because stories are incredible. As I hear people's stories, their stories allow me to know, man, here's where they would be effective here. Here's where they would be effective there. Man, their story equips them for this. There's power in a story. The church has become lazy at spreading the gospel. The average Christ follower thinks their idea of spreading the gospel is maybe they get someone to church and let the preacher tell them about Jesus. I did my duty. And so we expect people who don't know the preacher, don't know anything about him, have no connection with him, to suddenly utter these oratory words that magically transform their life. And sometimes people give their lives to God after hearing a sermon, but almost every time it's not because of the sermon. It's because of the relationship and the story that was made that led it here. The Bible says some plant and some water and some reap. It's just me getting to reap the benefit of you already planting the seed and you already watering. You already primed the pump. There's power in our story. People ask me all the time, why why don't you advertise the church more? Why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? Because the church ain't a business. Let me tell you the best form of marketing this church could ever have. Look to the person to the right of you. Look, go ahead and do it. It's okay. I know they're ugly. Go ahead and look to it, to the right of you. Now look to the person to the left of you. They might be a little better looking. I don't know. Now if you had a mirror, I'd tell you to look in that mirror. You are our best form of marketing. You are the best way to get the name of this church out. But at the end of the day, let me make this very clear to you. I don't care about getting the name of this church out. I care about getting the name of Jesus out. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. Someone said, someone said, how many people do you want in this church? As many as God wants to bring in. We're not ever going to turn them away. But if you tell them the story and they end up at another church, guess what? Oh, I'm okay with that. I'm secure enough in my manhood to be okay with that. Because it's not about building action church. It's about making it hard to get to hell from Canton, Georgia. The motto of this church ought to be, hell? No. (laughs) I want to be the church that's impacting and reducing the lostness in our community. Because we care so much about those that are far from God, that we're willing to do whatever it takes, again, short of sin, to reach those people. But the most effective way to do that is through simply us sharing our stories. I want to stand before God and I want to say, God, we were the church 
We didn't have the prettiest people or the biggest building or the whatever or this, but Lord, we made it hard to get to hell from Cherokee County because we met people and we told them our stories. I'm passionate about making sure people hear about Jesus. I'm making sure I'm passionate about people knowing my story. I've got a story. And people all the time have heard bits and pieces of that story, but never the whole story. One of my favorite things is right now I go to, it's called a co-working space. It's all different kinds of people that maybe they don't have their own office. They go there and they work together. And I love meeting people in our community because I love sharing my story. I love that I talk with them and I do work with them and we talk business. Then about three or four months later, you just see the light go off in their head. It clicks in their head who I am and what I do. And it opens up a door for me to say, man, I, I thought you did this. I said, well, I did do that. But I do that where it allows me to do this because this is my passion because my story is this. Bam, 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 bam. And it's amazing to watch that develop. And it's amazing to watch it unfold because there's power in stories. <laughs> we created this church to be a safe place for all people from all walks to come through here because everyone has a story. And our goal is for that story to eventually include Jesus. But the problem comes, many of us don't know how to tell our story. And that's what I'm going to do today, just get back to the basics. Everybody here has a story. Let me make this very clear to you. Sometimes we think the story is only for those that have a wild story. There's just as much power, if not more power, in the story of the person who's been straight-laced their whole life. Your story's not built on how much cocaine you snorted, how many people you slept with, or how crazy you got. Your story is your story. And there's power in stories. But we've got to know how to tell our story. So today I just want to get real, real simple with you. I don't know your story, but you do. But I'm going to show you how to outline your story, where you can be more effective in telling your story. I'm, I, this is going to seem a little bit weird, but I'm going to, I think it's effective. I think one of the best things you can do is practice your story. I can tell my story frontwards and backwards. Some of you have been under my preaching, I'm to know, because I'm going to get into it here in a little bit. You know my story, and you know the stories that go with my story, and you know how I'm going to tell my story, because I want to make sure that I never miss the opportunity to tell my story. I don't want to spend that one opportunity I have to share what Jesus has done in my life, him and Han, and uh-uh, and uh, and, uh, and uh, went stuttering over my words. It's my story. I want to know my story. They need to hear your story. I, I can't emphasize this enough. There's power in your story. And I get many of us think, man, that's intimidating, but it really isn't. You tell stories all the time. Even the most introverted person in the world has their network of people that they open up to and they talk to. We share our story all the time without thinking about it. The problem is we're not intentional about our story. If we were to add some intentionality to our story, we'd be so much more effective in making sure the gospel is spread. You work at your marriage with intentionality. You do your job with intentionality. And we should make sure that we're sharing our story with intentionality. So very practical today, but very biblical. I want to look at the life of a guy in the New Testament named Paul. If you don't know who Paul was, Paul wrote most, I would say 65 to 70% of the New Testament. After Jesus returned to heaven, Paul was radically changed. I don't want to get too much story because we're going to get into it today. But he went from town to town to town sharing his story. You say, no, he went town to town preaching and starting churches. Yeah, by sharing his story. Every town he went into, you'll see a pattern on how Paul went about doing things, how he went about breaking down. There's tons of people we could use in the Bible and share their story. But, but, I, but I love Paul because Paul was so passionate about his story. Don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. He wasn't ashamed of his story. 
And there's parts of his story that I'm sure brought shame to him. But he knew there was power in his story. So look at Paul's life today. I want to give you a couple of things, three things that need to be a part of your story. Your story always needs to start with your past. That's the groundwork of your story. Especially when you're dealing with someone who is far from God and doesn't have a relationship with God. Many times your past will be the connecting point to allowing that relationship to foster where you can go back and tell more of your story. Start with your past and, oh my goodness, did Paul have a past. Paul had such a past that he actually had a different name. Before he met Christ, his name was Saul. He was part of something called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was sort of a, um, for lack of a better word, it was a religious court system of the day. A religious court system of the day. To be part of the Sanhedrin, you had to be a brilliant person. You had to be so smart, and Paul was part of this. And these people went around misquoting Scripture to decide whether or not people were godly enough to get into heaven. Sound like any churches we know nowadays? Steeped in religion. He was a brilliant man, and he was a wicked, wicked man. Paul's job in the Sanhedrin was to literally seek out those who called themselves Christ followers. In the Bible, they called themselves those of the way, the way of Jesus. Those who came along and said, Jesus was the son of God. He died on the cross and rose from the grave. Paul's job was to Saul. Job was to seek those people out and kill them. Let me repeat that again. Did you hear what I just said? Saul's job was to seek out those that were Christ followers, those that were gathered together in an old grocery store at the time, walk in as the religious court system of the day, find them guilty, and kill them. That's a past. That's why I laugh when people say, I don't want to show up at church. If I show up at church, man, the, the roof will cave in. Don't flatter yourself, baby. You ain't that bad. You might have convinced yourself you're that bad. You might have convinced yourself your past was too much for God. Saul hunted down Christians. And killed him. Look what it says. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, so they broke in the end. They found a gathering of the saints. They're preaching Jesus. The people are getting angry that they're preaching Jesus. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Stephen didn't back down as they kicked in the door. At this day, covered theirs. They who? The religious people today. Covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him. They dragged him out of the city and they stoned him. Let me clarify that for you, Action Church folks. They picked up rocks and they threw them at him. They stoned him. They didn't get stoned with him. Just making sure we're all on the same page. They stoned him. After they stoned him, look at this last one. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes, those that just got stoned, at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's power. That's wickedness. They killed Christians. Then they came to where Saul was, standing off to the side, watching it unfold, and they laid their clothes at Saul's feet to get the blessing of Saul. Paul was a bloodthirsty person, consumed with hatred towards those who called themselves Christians. He would send people out to murder Christians 
Over and over and over, we see where Paul, if they look what it says, Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found any of those who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he could take them prisoners to Jerusalem. He went and asked for permission to walk into the churches and find those worshiping Jesus and arrest them where they could be killed. If anybody had a past, Paul had that past. If anybody had a story that ought to be embarrassed about, they ought to be ashamed about, it was Paul. But when Paul has his life transformed and he's pointing people to Jesus, his connecting point always to them was his past. He said, look what he says. This is after his life has been changed. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, who I am the worst. He's talking to the people, and he's saying, man, Christ came to save those far from God, those that have messed up, those that have screwed up, those that are broke, busted, and disgusted. And he says, hey, I'm the king of those. I used to kill Christians. He wanted that standing point to let people know, listen, I have a past. I love that connecting point. Paul's talking to those who, who, who were Christ followers and those who weren't Christ followers instead of being holier than thou and acting like he's got it all together. He said, man, I get it. I've screwed up like you. I've messed up like you. I've stumbled along the way. I get it. You don't feel you're worthy. I get it. I'm the chief among those. I have a past. I've heard preachers get up for years and say, bless God, once you become a Christ follower, your past is in the past and leave it there. Now listen, I don't believe you ought to dwell in your past. Let me make that very clear. I don't believe you ought to wallow in your past. You're forgiven. I don't believe you ought to beat yourself up over your past. But don't you ever forget your past. Don't you ever forget where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords brought you from. I don't ever want to get over where God brought me from. I don't ever want to forget when I was in the muck and I was in the mire and when I was out doing my own thing and I was living for my own self. I don't ever want to forget that God took me, the last person, the most least likely person, and he radically changed my life. The reason so many of us get complacent in our faith and we go through the motions in our faith is we have forgot what we were B.C. before Christ. Hopeless, without despair. <coughs> I ain't got COVID. Don't be freaking out. It's got a dry throat. Man, don't forget your past. Your past is the connecting point to those that are far from God. My past, as horrible as it is, and as embarrassing as my past is, and how there's things because of my past my kids still live with today as far as embarrassment goes. My past is one of the greatest assets I have. Because it allows me to connect with those that are far from God on a different level. I know what it's like to live for yourself. I know what it's like to live for the weekend. I know what it's like to just want to go after money and party and chase and have sex and do all these things that are so unglorifying to God. I have that connecting point. When those come to me and they're living a certain way, and they're, I'm like, I get it. Been there. Done that. Got the scars all over me to prove it. It's a connecting point. I know what it's like to dabble with drugs. I know what it's like to struggle with drinking. I know what it's like to just want to chase and live for self-satisfaction all the time. I know what it's like to only want to chase that corporate ladder. I've had one job, one real job ever in my life and with a very large corporation. I remember I started there two days after I graduated with high school and all I was consumed was moving up. Man, I was their boy. Two days after high school, we're going to mold him and we're going to shape him. I get it. I know what it's like to chase all these things that you think will bring you fulfillment and they're lacking. 
I know what it's like to have your marriage fall apart. I know what it's like to have children who go months, even a year, wanting nothing to do with you because of the hurt you brought on their life. I'm not proud of those things. But they're part of my story, and they allow me to connect. And guess what? You have a story that I don't have, and you have a story that I don't have, and you have a past that I don't have, and you have a past that I don't have, and your past allows you to connect. Your mess is what God will use for your greatest ministry. Don't get over your past. You know how many times people come to me in this church and they're like, hey, Pastor G, can I talk to you? Bam, bam. And I, I stop them. I'm like, you're more than welcome to talk to me. But what you're telling me, I'm not going to completely be able to understand and comprehend. And you ought to go over here to Jim and talk to Jim. He's been through what you've been through. You know how I knew Jim's been through it? Because he shared his story with me. So there's power in stories. Man, you, you need to go talk to Lisa. Lisa's, Lisa's been there. Man, I... I Man, you can come talk to me. I don't necessarily get it, but my wife's been where you're at. You ought, you ought to go talk to her. Her story and your story are similar, and you'll be able to connect on a different level. Listen, when we don't start with our past, we miss out on the connection point of the story. There's power in the story. There's power in the past. Second thing we need to do when you're telling your story, I'm just giving you an outline. Here's the, I'm going to give you the bones today. You fill them in. Because again, I don't know your story. But I'm telling you, once you know your story, and you know a systematic way to deliver your story, God's going to put you in place after place after place where your story changes people's lives. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's our responsibility. The way we preach the gospel most effectively is to share our story. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to tell how we became a Christ follower. This is huge. Now, let me tell you, back to the first point, telling your story. Here's the biggest mistake I see people make, especially in a public area of telling their story. They tell their story, and all they do is focus on the past. Almost like they glorify the past. I've been to anybody, I, I, you don't got to raise your hand, it's, it's anonymous, but anybody been to an AA, they have these things called speakers meetings. In speakers meetings, somebody gets up who struggle with alcohol or struggle with drugs, and they share their story. It's just their story. I speak for a living, so I'm a little bit more critical of those that speak sometimes and probably shouldn't be. But here's what I see in the weakness of so many of these speaker meetings. These addicts, spend so much time of their story, 80 to 85% of their time, glorifying almost their past because they're nervous. So they think it's funny to show, show, throw the story out there. To, listen, listen, listen. We're not going to glorify our past. We're going to share our past. We're not going to spend all our time on our past because here's the, don't miss this, the past is the connecting point. But if all, is you, all you do is connect and don't get to the gospel, the connection is useless. The connection is the bridge to point him to Jesus. We're going to tell how we became a Christ follower. We're going to talk about how Jesus Christ radically changed your life. When Saul meets Jesus, everything changes. He was never the same person. That doesn't mean he didn't struggle because he says over and over, there's a part in the New Testament. People think when you become a Christ follower, everything becomes unicorns and sunflowers and running through daisies and unicorns are farting bubbles out. Like it's just, it's, it's just your best life now. And you're never going to have a problem ever again because God loves you so much that when you become a Christ follower, everywhere you go with sunny days and rainbows, hog wash. Paul in the New Testament said he had, he had a thorn in the flesh. He had a stumbling block. I've got my theories on what it is. He doesn't tell us what it is. I'll break that down for you one day because my theory is crazy. Um, but he had this thorn. In the flesh. He said three times he asked God to remove it, and God wouldn't remove it. Paul still had his struggles. Just because you come a Christ doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles. But his life was radically, radically changed. <laughs> After Paul's conversion on... On the road to Damascus, look what the Bible says. At once, 
he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. At once, he did that. But here's how his life was changed, Acts 9, 3, 4. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice. So he's on the way to Damascus. What's he on the way to Damascus for? Kill Christians. You tracking with me? He's Saul here. He's going to hear, kill Christians. He's on his way. A light flashes before him. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice at him. Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? God came to Saul in an audible voice. (laughs) Let me tell you something. You might not have been on the Damascus road, and God might not have spoke to you audibly, but you were on a journey the day you met Christ. Christ came to you. He might not have split open the heavens and talked to you audibly, but he spoke to the inner depths of your soul, and he changed your life. I like this right here. Who are you, Lord? What's the Lord? You know who it is. Who are you, David? Oh, it's David. That's why I said that. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul met him on the road. There's power in your story. Power in your story. Let me make this as clear to you as possible. You should know that, I'm not saying you should know the exact date and the exact time, but has there ever been a time in your life you made that transition to put your faith in the work of Christ? Not what you do, but what he does. You've heard me share this story a thousand times. I can tell you the day I went to church with a girl, an old Baptist church, I'm talking about stereotypical. If you've ever been to just an old country church, you walked in, had pews on this side, it had pews on this side. I don't know what it was about churches built in the 40s and the 50s, but it had that red velvet on the pews. Anybody remember the red velvet pews? Oh, they were holding another level. You walked in, stained glass on the sides. I sat in the back row. This group got up to sing. You ever been to that church? There's four of them across the stage and they're singing. Can't, three of them can't sing. Only one of them can sing. But the other three think they can sing because you can't have one person getting all the attention. You got to have a quartet up there and they all matched. And they're singing horrible music because it ain't on key. It ain't in tune. But man, they loved God, I guess. They're singing. And then they had these two thrones up on the stage. Anybody been to the church with the thrones on the stage? Yeah, the thrones on the stage. There was two sizes. There was the big throne for the preacher, smaller throne, I guess, for the music guy. And over in this throne over here was a guy literally sitting in the chair like like he was a catcher. I mean, his feet were in the chair. About a five-foot-three chair king. And every time I say that, everyone thinks I'm talking about Johnny Hunt. It was not Johnny Hunt. I was in Cumming, Georgia. A little man named Randy Rye. And the whole time these people are singing horrible, he's screaming, Wild glory! And I'm sitting on the back row like, what is that? And he'd grab his Bible. Praise Jesus! And he'd stand in the throne. He'd stand up in it. And then he would interrupt the four people who couldn't sing but were singing. And he would spout off something about Scripture. I remember the God. Go back and sit down, and these people just keep on singing. And then people around me were standing up and waving hankies. It was, to me, odd. I'm not saying they weren't genuine. I'm not saying it was just weird. I'd never been in church. This went on for, it seemed like, three hours and 45 minutes. I had to pee. And here was the thing about this church. I don't know if they did this intentionally, but the stage was here and there was two doors. The bathroom was there, so you had to walk past everyone to go to the bathroom. Unlike y'all who get up 400 times a service and can sneak to the back, even though you're not really sneaking and you're not really discreet, this you had to make sure everybody... So I'm just holding it in the back the whole time. So I come to the conclusion about two hours and 40 minutes into it, I'm exaggerating, that there's going to be no one of this preaching and they're just going to sing all night. 
new. It felt like about three hours later. It was only about 30 minutes later. I kid you not, this man leaps from the throne to this thing. Now, if you've ever been in church, they had this thing called a pulpit. So you stood behind it and you spoke. This pulpit was huge. I don't know if it was like overcompensating for something or what because he was small. But he grabbed that pulpit. Take your Bibles! I didn't have a Bible. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. He started on this side of the worship area. And he used that thing like it was a machine gun. And he preached against everything that moved. I can't. This was 20-something years ago. Wasn't that long ago. And I remember him preaching against the temptations, the singing group. And I'm thinking, wasn't that from like the 50s, like when Doug Knight was a kid? I didn't know Doug Knight, but I was still thinking that. Because Doug was that old, he was famous. And I'm like, he's preaching. And he, you women in your past, you're going to like me. And the Bible says you don't dress like a man. And you dress like a man. And then he, pre- I never forget, he started preaching against Blockbuster Video. Anybody remember Blockbuster Video? He's preaching again. If you go to the movie, you won't go to the movie house, but you'll go to Blockbuster. And I'm just like, like it was, it was crazy. But then, guess what he did? He started telling his story. He used to run moonshine and do this and do that. And as crazy as I thought he was, he got into the story and I was captivated. And then he said, I met Jesus. Knowing this joker's talking to me because there's 37 people in there and I'm the only one he don't know. Some of you know some of you he's talking to me. Looking right at me. I'm going to die. And you're going to burn in hell. And fry like bacon. I don't want to fry like bacon. <laughs> you heard me tell this story. He said, you need to come down. I don't know what coming down meant, but I was coming down. Came down. And like nobody did anything. I just came down. And they sang forever. And no one did anything. I'm down. And afterwards, he picks me up and says, he came down. I don't know what I just did, but I came down. Thank God for this other man. We're leaving. This guy calls me in the park and said, hey, son, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. He goes, I know she went down. Yeah, I did. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I'm never easy. Brother Randy gets a little excited sometimes. And he took me through the Romans road. Do you understand you're a sinner? Do you understand there's a payment for your sin? Do you understand that God loves you so much that he paid that price? All you got to do is put your faith in him. And I gave my life to Christ that night. And my life's never been the same. Do you know the day that Christ changed your life? Do you remember? You might, hey, listen, you ain't got to know the day of the week and you ain't got to know the time, but I'm telling you, if you don't know, if you're depending on the fact that you go to church as your, as your salvation, or you're depending on the fact that you serve at the church, if, if you don't know that there came a conscious time where you put your faith in Christ, then you might have a good dose of religion and not a good dose of relationship. Paul knew, he said, man, I used to be the chief among sinners, but I was going down the Damascus Road and God saved my life. You got to talk about that day. You got to talk about that time if we're talking about AA, like in their terms, you hit rock bottom. That's part of your story because that's where the change begins to happen. So we're going to start with our past. We're going to talk about how we met Christ, how we became a Christ follower. And the last part, Because remember, you're talking to unchurched people here. They want to know the benefit. That's just the way it works. You're going to talk about how your life has changed since you met Christ. If my story ended and I went down, big freaking deal. My life was radically changed that day. I didn't think the way I used to think. 
My goals weren't the way they used to be. My passions weren't the same things. Again, not that I don't mess up and not that I don't screw up and not that I can't get off track, but God radically changed my life. I just read this verse earlier. I skipped ahead, but look what Paul did immediately. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the son of God. Paul's life was radically changed. Paul had to prove to people his life was radically changed because the church thought he was trying to run a scam on them. He's acting like a Christ follower where he can find us and kill us. (laughs) Man, notice this. It doesn't say he had to think about it. He didn't take a five-week class on how to share his faith. The Bible says at once he began to tell people what Jesus had done for him. He had a story to tell. And when you have a story to tell, you can't help but tell it. When Christ has radically changed your life and your life has been different, your marriage is different because of it. I didn't say your marriage was perfect. Your marriage is never going to be perfect because you're in it. How you approach your career, how you approach your goal, everything is different doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means we have purpose in life. And we know that Christ can get us through how many times, especially during this. I can't tell you how many people have come to me throughout what we've been through the last few minutes. Like, like, how are you dealing with it? Man, how are you not freaking out? How are you? I'm like, man, I just know God's in control. That doesn't mean I haven't freaked out at times. doesn't mean I haven't stressed out at times. But at the end of the day, God, either God's God or God's not. When you meet Jesus, he transforms everything about you. Second Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Three elements to your story. Your past, how you met Christ, and then just brag on Jesus. I thought about as part of this sermon today, letting people stand up and talk about how their life is different. The problem with that is, we'd be here all day long. Because, man, there's some stories in this place. There's some power in this place. I, I can show you stories of people. Let me tell you something. It's easy to come. Let me get real irritated for a minute. It's easy to come in this church. And because we don't meet your definition of what you think church should always be. You think it's just a social club. But I can show you stories. I can show you stories of people that came in here so strung out on drugs, ready to end their life, who've been clean for years now because God's used them and changed their life. I can show you stories. Let me tell you something. If you walk outside of this door, you look to the right, you're going to see a metal wall out there, metal sheet metal. That's the old IGA grocery sign. We, we had no money when we started this church. We couldn't take it out, so we just put sheet metal over it. Before we put sheet metal on it, we had people write names on it of people. They, I said, I want you to go over there, and I want you to write the most vile, wicked, last person you'd ever see in church's name on this wall. You know how many people's names been on that wall that have walked through the doors of this church and had their lives radically changed? Oh, including my father-in-law? Don't tell me there's not life change that happens around here. I can show you marriages that were falling apart, that were at the end of their rope, but the power of God restored them. I can show you mature Christians who God moved from other churches who had felt like in their life they had got dull in their faith, stale in their faith, who were rejuvenated by the simplicity of the gospel in reaching people. I can show you people in this church that have come through these doors and prayed for years for their kids to get involved in church. And now they come to this church. I can show you kids that have come to this church and now whose parents have decided, man, I want to be part of that church that they never thought would come into a church like this. I can show you people that used to come in here and get food at the food pantry week after week, and now they're here every month giving food out at the food pantry every week. I can show you homeless people that seven years ago were strung out and still homeless, 
that seven years later are still homeless and strung out. But know that they know that they know there's a place at 271 Marietta Road that loves them. And no matter how hard they hit rock bottom or how many times they screw up or how many times they mess up or how many times I've literally one of them, I laid him out over here on the side of the building. Laid him out because he was drunk and disrespectful one night. And to this day, he still knows this place loves him and points him to Jesus. And he can come here time after time after time. Sometimes we miss out on the stories because we don't share the stories. There's power in your story. We have a responsibility to bring people to Jesus. Responsibility. Do you know that we've had couples in this church get divorced? And in their divorce agreements, I'm not saying I approve of this, so let me make that very clear. This church is open to anybody and everybody. I don't care if they come every week. They can hate each other. They can sit on opposite sides. But we had a couple that put in their divorce decree what weeks one of them could come to church because neither one of them wanted to leave the church. Again, I think there's probably more effective ways to do that. But my point is the impact that this place has on people because God says he'll use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. This place don't make sense. It don't. That's not me dogging. It don't make sense. I am the chief among it not making sense. It don't make sense. But the stories make it work. Now, stories all across the world through the internet of life change happening at the little church in the ghetto because a remnant of people get the power of story and willing to share their story. You ought to go home this week and just kind of write out your story. Start with your past. Start when you met with God. Talk about how your life's been changed ever since then. And watch God. Don't miss this. Watch God give you opportunity after opportunity to share your story. Maybe the reason you're not getting opportunities right now is God knows you don't know your story good enough. You think you know it in your head, but you don't know how to communicate it. Your story's powerful. It ain't just my story. It's your story. There's not a person here today who doesn't have a powerful story. Powerful story. You just got to share it.